Gospel of John. Who's ready for some Bible? All right, Gospel of John, John chapter 4. Uh, if, you're, if I didn't get an amen, I was like, ready or not, here we go. <laughs> John chapter 4, and I uh, want to go over one last thought about the harvest before we move on. John chapter 4, and bear with me, I'm sucking on cough drops. Uh, if you haven't noticed, there are some folks that are out right now and, and uh, dealing with some sickness. Pray for them. I know Miss Debbie's one of them, and there's others, but... Um, you know, it's that wonderful, it's the most wonderful time of year when kids go back to school, and, and they all get to, you know, put their hands all over each other and then bring it back to church, and so uh, we're, we're dealing with that. But uh, that said, look at John chapter 4 and verse number uh, 35. Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I see you lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. You may recall, uh, we, we, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, last Sunday and, and, and showed how Paul mentions this guy watered and this guy sowed, but God giveth the increase, right? And so everyone has a part. I, I, I want to reiterate this. Uh, Wednesday night you were challenged. I hope you felt a little bit pushed out of your comfort zone, and that was the point of that. Uh, you should feel that sometimes when you come to church, guys. Imagine going to the gym and you never feel like you, you never sweat, you never get pushed, and you pay someone, you pay someone to be your physical trainer, like, ah, you're doing all right. Would you, would you keep going to that train? No, you would not. You say, I want someone that pushes me. And then people come to church like, why are you pushing me? Look, uh, uh, listen, the, the Lord has called me to be your spiritual fitness trainer, all right? And I'm here to train you and push you on. And so Wednesday night, you should have felt a little bit pushed. That's a good thing. Uh, that said, understand this. Not everyone is going to be called to college campus ministry. You're not less of a Christian because you don't do that ministry. Uh, here's what I would say. I would say this. Are you doing what you can? The Bible says in Mark 14 about the woman that comes to Jesus and breaks that box of ointment. She hath done what she could. When you get to the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord's not going to ask you, could you keep up with Brother Sean? Could you play music like Brother Joe? Uh, could you sing like, you know, whoever else in the church can sing? Well, uh, did you come to church late like Richard? I mean, he's going to ask you all those kinds of things. Uh, the rapture's going to happen. Richard's going to be like five minutes behind, you know? <laughs> Come up hither. Okay, Richard, that means you. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Uh, but uh, but you, you understand what I'm getting at. The Lord's not going to judge you based on somebody else's abilities and judge you based on yours. Uh, uh, look, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, what we're going to look at is on the, the, the it's technically speaking, the context has to do with giving, but it applies to really every area of life. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number 12. Verse number 12. All right, look what it says here. It says, for if there be first a willing what? It is accepted. Well, what does it mean it's accepted? Well, I'm going to show you that in a second. But it, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. When we talk about the harvest and seeing people saved and, and the harvest of souls, everyone has a part. Now, listen. Uh, when you're, and I don't mean this to be funny, this is not a joke, not trying to be funny at all. Uh, I've known some people in this church who, uh, some of you are you're, you're in your teenage years, maybe in, in your early 20s. I can tell you right now, I don't mean this to be funny, some of you could not have kept up with Virginia Schleer when she was in her 40s. 
I'm telling you, you couldn't have. I know it for a fact because some of you guys get up at 10 and, I'm so tired. Grow up. Get out of bed earlier than 10 o'clock in the morning. Come on, someone give me an amen there. You know. Anyways, you, you understand what I'm saying. Miss Virginia, I mean, she would just run miles around a lot of young people. Uh, she had to to keep up with us. We were the teenagers in her youth group. And so well, what I'm getting at is this. You can't judge someone uh, yourself against someone else. Here's what I can tell you. If you were to ask Miss Virginia, do you have the same level of energy today that you did 30 years ago? The answer would be no. <laughs> the answer would be no. She would say, Brother Jose, Miss Genia, have fun with the teenagers. Uh, but 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 I'll, but I'll, I'll say this. You know what she's doing? She's doing. They're doing what they can. So you know what they'll do? They'll pray, and they'll encourage, and they'll write letters, and they'll give. You see, what's that? Doing what you can, <laughs> and that's what God looks at. What do you have, and are you willing to invest that into the harvest? Uh, look at now. Now this is a, a reality. I think that some people don't get. When you get saved, you are accepted in the beloved. You are accepted as far as your position in Christ. As far as your eternal state, you are accepted in God's eyes. You ought to thank God for that. That's awesome. However, as it relates to your work and your labor, that's not an automatic. Uh, Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Romans 8 says that we are uh, accepted. uh, And Ephesians says that we are, uh, excuse me, Romans 8 talks about being accepted in God's family, adopted. Ephesians talks about being accepted in the beloved. And if you're looking for acceptance anywhere else, you're not going to find it. Uh, but, but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me show you something. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 6. The Bible says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, watch this, that we may be what? Yeah, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Well, let me ask you a question. If you're already accepted into the beloved, why does Paul write this? And the answer is this. There's two kinds of acceptance. One has to do with your position in the family. Look, when you get saved, automatically you are accepted into God's family. All right? So as a son, you're accepted. Check. Thank God for that. But let me say this, as a servant, you know what that is? That's a huge question mark. That's why everyone thinks, you know, when, you know, when Elvis died, you know, the, the poorly gate swung open and they're playing, you know, uh, 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 Amazing Grace by Elvis Presley, you know, and he's floating on in there and, you know, Grandpa's fish, uh, fishing in the pond and Jesus is right there to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because in everyone's eyes, that's what everyone hears. Not everybody hears that. I, I wish we did. Uh, but you know what determines that? I'll say this. You can hear that. You know what determines that? What you do with your time here. Uh, what you do to invest in the harvest that's not going to all, all be seen down here. Some of it's going to be seen up there. Uh, look, I'll tell you right now, when we're talking about just sowing seeds and sowing the gospel seed anyways, there are times you leave a track somewhere and you think, well, that was a waste. Someone picks it up, reads it, you never hear about it. They get saved, they go to heaven. You get up there and they come, thank you for leaving that track on the bathroom floor. I didn't remember leaving it on the bathroom floor. I gave it to a guy outside the bathroom. He threw it on the ground, thought it was no good. Someone else kicked it. You went into the stall, picked it up, read it, got saved. Praise God. Yeah. You don't know. I don't know. We're not going to find out until we get there all the things that God's done behind the scenes. The idea is this, though. As it relates to a servant, all right, he, he, he says this. He says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the what? Laborers are what? Few. 
All right, so the idea is this. Once you get saved, you're, I think what has happened, there's uh, the, uh, probably the, the right term, I think, is hyper grace. See, what does that mean? Well, you know, uh, if you're saved, you don't confess sins. You don't, you don't have to work for the Lord. The uh, uh, Lord's automatically working through you. Don't do anything. Look, look, I will tell you right now, I'll, I'll, I'll be very transparent with you. One of the transgressions of independent, fundamental, and uh, Baptists over the last 50 years is that they said, if you do these things, you're automatically spiritual. Wrong. Right. You can go soul winning, you can wear a tie, you can hold a Bible, and still be as wicked as the devil. Amen. Okay? This is the reality. However, don't, let's not go to the other extreme and go, well, I'm saved, and so uh, there's nothing for me to do. I'm just resting in Jesus. Well, no, no, he talks about laboring for him. But, but the motive is what determines every... God looks at motive. As a matter of fact, when you give it back to John, we're going to find out the Lord stood still for two days and dwelt with the Samaritans. Why? They wanted him. Yeah. And then there's other places where he, he, you know, he, he's walking with these guys after the resurrection, and he made as if he would have just kept walking. And they go, no, 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 stay with us. Why, would, why did he do that? One time he's walking on the sea, and he made as he, though he would have passed by them. Remember that in the Gospels? And the Bible says they cried out, and he goes, oh, you, you want me? I mean, the Lord does that. Why? He wants to see your motive. What's your desire? So it's not a matter of not doing anything, and it's also not a matter of laboring to be spiritual, but understanding that now that I am saved, now that I am a son, I have an opportunity to get involved. In our house, I don't know how it is in your house, everyone has something to do. The only one that's, that's gotten out of it so far is because she's eight months old is Olivia. But that's going to change. Listen, once she starts walking, you say, when do you start training kids to work? She goes on me. She gets strapped on. I go out and do chores. I want her to understand, eventually, you're going to be doing this. Right. Oh, Daddy, I love the horses. How much do you love them? Because Daddy ain't going to be doing this when he's 60, right? You're going to get out there, and you're going to do this, all right? And, and so the, the idea is this. Once you are a child, all right, you, now you understand, look, I, I, don't, I don't have to do this, but, man, I get to do this, <laughs> I get to do this. And so if, if I get to do it, Christians today are all about like, how far is the line? I mean, like, t- tell me, uh, preacher, if, if you're a female, this is always going to be the challenge with teenage girls. You know, can, can I wear it here? Can I wear it here? Can I wear it here? Can I wear it? L- listen, be modest. Cover your body, all right? You know what the Bible says about nakedness and showing your thigh. I don't need to say much more than that. The idea is this, but everyone wants to push that envelope. How much further can I go without getting called out from the... First off, you're not in a church where the preacher's going to call you out from the pulpit. If you don't have enough spiritual fortitude between you and God to understand that there should be some boundaries in your life, I'm not going to be able to fix that for you. You've got to have that for yourself. Uh, are you taking the, the convicts downstairs? Okay, all right. <laughs> The security guy, he just has that look on his face. Come with me, you know, uh, and the kids are falling downstairs. For those watching online, they're going to Sunday school, all right? Uh, but, but understand this. This is what you want to get to. This is automatic. This is not. All right? He says that we may be accepted of him. Well, what's that talking about? Uh, keep reading Second Corinthians chapter 5. Look what it says in verse uh, number uh, 10. For we must all appear before the what? That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Uh, you know what the Lord has given you? Some of you have had 16 years, 17, 18, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of life. And from the moment you got saved, God goes, okay, with the opportunities I've given you, what have you done with them? That matters to God. 
All right, and, and so the Lord is saying, look, I, I'm going to give you the things done in your body, whether they be good or bad. God wants to bless you. Think about this. God does not need us coming back on white horses. I, I kind of have this vision in my mind that the Lord comes back. You know, we're on white horses. And we're all, Woo, let's go, let's go, you know. And we're like all excited about the battle of armor again. The Lord comes down. We're all behind him, you know, screaming at the top of our lungs. And the Lord's leading the thing. And he just goes, Boom! And they all just fall back and die and obliterate. Then the Bible says, consume them with the spirit of his mouth. Yeah. And you know what? I, I kind of think, I know we're going to be in glorified bodies, so this won't happen. But if we were not in glorified bodies, you know how this would go? He would do that. We'd be like high-fiving. Yeah, look what we did! We didn't do anything. He did it. Look, look, the Lord doesn't need us. The Lord is inviting us to be a part of something that is eternal in value. Look, there's a, I, I recruit for a living, and I tell people about jobs and try to get them connected with the right opportunities. I can't think of a better opportunity, one that's going to have lasting impact forever and ever and ever. And, and you know what's awesome about this? Uh, ones as young as Emma and Kieran, Mia, they can get involved, and ones that are in college, a college age can get involved, and, and those that are outside of college and you know, uh, hopefully get married soon when we get involved. And, and those that are, are retirement age can get involved. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. You can get involved in God's labor if you want to. Now, you know what happens to a lot of Christians? They watch church. They've been around church, and they realize people aren't perfect. And so what they say is, well, you know, I tried once, or I got involved once, or I did this, I did that, and it didn't work out, or I didn't like this person. Okay. You know you're here right now because someone didn't listen to the excuses in their mind. You know what they did? They labored anyways. Uh, you, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for moms getting up at 2 in the morning to feed babies, right? right? Uh, spiritually speaking, do you know why some of you are here right now? Because at 2 a.m., you, you texted someone, Oh, my God, I can't take it anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. And someone helped you out. Someone helped you out. You know what the idea is? Pass it on. Pass it on. The Bible, you know, people say all the time, I don't owe anyone anything. The Bible says... Oh, no man, anything but to love one another. And if you love them, you know, do you help them. And you speak the truth in their lives. Uh, the, the Bible says that Paul says, I'm, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not trying to pay back my salvation. That's done. And maybe that may be one of the, in my mind, maybe the sticking point of fundamentalism is that they conflated the idea that, that now that I'm saved, I owe God something. Not, not, not for my salvation, but now that I'm saved, look at what he's done for me. I want to do this. <laughs> he's been so good to me. I'm not paying him back for salvation. I can't do that. But, but what I want to do is I, I want to I pay it forward. I want someone else to get in on this. <laughs> and, and so the idea is this, Christian, it's later than you think. It's later than you think. I'll say that in a couple ways. In your 15? 14. 14. 14. Uh, when you're 14, it kind of feels like, I'm not picking on them, I'm being honest, though. I remember being 14. Miss Virginia remembers me being 14. Uh, one time, no, I can, I, can, I can tell that story. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, 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 I am. I am. W- one time, me and her son went and... Uh, we had a, a Christian, small Christian school there. And so we thought it would be funny uh, to pick on the girls. So we went in the girls' bathroom and used the girls' restroom. And we let them know we used it. And, uh, but, but, but she didn't know about it quite yet. So the girls saying, you know, okay, we're going to get you back. You know what they did? They grabbed a bunch of rocks and the gravel, threw it in the urinal, flushed it, and we had a problem. 
It, you remember in football, they always say the second guy always gets caught? So, so we, the guys are like, we don't know why they would have done this. <laughs> and, and so anyways, I, I, I can think back on some very foolish things that I did as a teenager. But I'll say this, as a 14-year-old, it felt like, man, life was almost like down here was eternal. Because it takes so long, it feels like it takes so long to get through high school, right? Right, and and then you know, so long to get through college, and then you get married. Like I can't wait. We can't wait to have kids, and then you have kids. And I can't wait till they talk, and then they start talking. Like I wish they shut up. And <laughs> right, and 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 life just kind of speeds ahead, and you think you have all this time. And, and really, what it boils down to is, I believe this: taking advantage of the small everyday opportunities God gives you. Yeah. You're probably not. You're probably not. People have these ideas of, of uh, grandiose ideas of, you know, one day I'm just going to take all this time and I'm going to dedicate it all to the Lord. I'm going to tell you this right now. You're not going to do that if you're not willing to take five minutes or, or ten minutes or three minutes. The time God gives you to, to minister to somebody else, to help another Christian, to encourage another laborer to get involved, to stay involved, to, to, to go out and seek someone that's in that harvest and reach someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be honest, it doesn't take all that long to get, take a gospel track out of your coat pocket or out of your purse, ladies, and give it to someone at the store. It doesn't take that long. Now, I'll tell you right now, if you're not used to doing it, that thing feels heavy. And if you're going to do that, please don't do it in slow motion at the store. You're going to get sacked by a security guard, especially in Aurora. If you do this, you go... Don't do that, all right? But if you give someone a gospel track, it doesn't take that long. You see, what is it? Just a little bit of labor. Yeah. A little bit of labor. You, you, know, you know what the idea is? Uh, the, the idea is in God's economy, uh, this is priceless. And even though God dwells in eternity, he's constantly reminding us through his words, your life is a vapor. My days are as in hand breath. <laughs> right? Over and over and over, you're reminded this is short. You're here now. I'm not. I'm not trying to be funny, but how many of you are, uh, uh, let's say, 55 and above? Raise your hands real quick if you don't mind. I'm not picking on you. All right. Uh, now, how many of you? Look, I'll, I'll just say this. All you ladies that raise your hand to me, you look 25. All right. So, uh, but you, if you were honest, wouldn't you say that life has moved a whole lot quicker than you ever expected it would? It's just the nature of life. And so, you know what we're saying? Take advantage of the time God gives you. Take advantage of that time. This harvest, you know what it's all about? It's about taking care of what God's given you. Look at Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24. And by the way, the harvest in Aurora might be different than the harvest in Malawi. It might be different than the harvest on a campus, uh, uh, on a college campus. might be different than uh, the, uh, uh, the harvest that you might find on another mission field. But the idea is this. This is your harvest. This is where God has placed you. And you may go, well, I wish I were somewhere else. Well, if God calls you, you should go. Uh, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you have this idea that if you just go somewhere else, you're going to be different, forget about that. You take you wherever you go. So if you don't do what God is asking you to do here, you're going to be challenged wherever else you move. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter number 24. Proverbs 24, look if you would at verse number 30. Here's my encouragement to you. Don't be slothful. Now, now, when I'm playing games with my boys, playing football, whatever, man, they run as fast as they can. I mean, they're, they're competing, you know, after the, and whenever one catches the other one, I mean, they tackle, they are boys. They don't think, they tackle and ask questions later, and they run as fast as they can. And then I send them out to do chores. 
like they're in some kind of concentration camp or something. You know, and they're just, I'm like, hey, what's wrong with you? Oh. I'm like, hey, you, you move like that in football? No, sir. What would happen if you did? I would lose. Don't be a loser. Go faster. Now, I know some of you go, that's real harsh parenting, all that kind of stuff. I want my boys to understand that whatever they put their hands, and my girls as well, whatever you put your hands to, do it with all your might. That's a biblical concept, all right? And, and, and the idea is this. Uh, don't be slothful. Don't, don't be moving through the Christian life like, well, you know, I went to a Rockies game the other night, and, man, someone hit a home run. Oh, the place just gets, that blows up, right? And they're all excited. We were, the, the Rockies were ahead by, like, you know, two points. They lost 13 to 5. Oh, I left before the real carnage began. It just went real bad toward the last two innings. But, but it was interesting to me because everyone's all excited. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna, and, and, and in all reality, it doesn't matter who wins or loses that game. And, and furthermore, some of those same people when it comes to their job, man, take that excitement. Put it in what God's given you to do. Now, now, now listen, let me say it right now. Some of you, have jobs that you don't like. And I'm going to give you a couple of, of thoughts on that, all right? Uh, number one, if you don't like it, get another one. Don't complain about your job that God has allowed you to have to put money on, uh, food on the table. If you don't like it, change it. If you're not willing to do that, then let the Lord change you and change your attitude about your job. And you say, why, why are you bringing up work right now, preacher? Here's why. Because there's a lot of people that think that preachers are just lazy guys that work on Sunday and Wednesday. This job isn't as easy as it looks. And there's a lot of work involved. And I've learned that the hard, I just, I'm not saying that, I'm not preaching at you. I was there and I used to think, well, it must be nice to get up on Sunday and shoot off your mouth. That's not how it works. There's a lot of labor involved. And I'm going to tell you right now, it, 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 the Lord looks at how you deal with things. You think God's going to call one of these young men to preach when they can't show up to work on time? Forget about it. Oh, no, no, God's coming to preach. Well, then you better get with the program. <laughs> Because God's not going to use you if you can't show up to work on. Why? Because there's this thing called Sunday school at 10 a.m. And if I just strolled in here at 10.15, oh, what are we doing, guys? Oh, yeah, Gospel of John. I didn't study this weekend. Anybody, chat GPT, what you got for John 4? Right? That's not how that works. There ought to be some labor involved. Uh, Look what it says in in Proverbs 24, verse number 31, uh, verse 30. I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo... It was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall there was broken down. Now, I know I'm not teaching on Proverbs, but can I say this? Uh, My dad grew up poor, at least by our standards. Nine kids in the mountains of Puerto Rico, and you know what they would do? They'd sweep a dirt floor. I'm tired of middle-class Americans, Christians, who have a lot better that God's given you, and you treat it like garbage. That's slothful. That's lazy. Preacher, can you get back to the harvest? No, no, no. I'm going to get there. It's all connected. Because the way that you treat that is the way you'll treat God's work after a while. Because after it's not new anymore, it's just the same old, same old. And, And the reality is it takes diligence and focus and character. And you don't get that automatically when you're saved. You know, now some may say, Pastor, you're OCD. You know, you, can't you leave a dish in the, in the sink? You can make fun of me if you want to, and that's okay. I don't mind. I think it's fun. But I'll say this right now. I want my kids to know, listen, if you're, if you're, if you're, uh, 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 you have enough time to eat, you have enough time to clean. 
You say, oh, is it that really that big of a deal? I'll tell you this right now. I've been to churches when I was a missionary on deputation that I was scared to bring my family into. The roof falling in, the place is filthy. Well, we don't care about the building, bless God. We're going to support missions. Okay, and that church is now gone. You know why? Because you're slothful. And if you're slothful with these things, you'll be slothful with the things of God. I'm sorry. I know it was real quiet right now. I don't care. I, I know it's not a real rah-rah moment, but here's what I've noticed. Christians are excited about ministries when they're new. And then whenever it's not new anymore, it's like, well, you know, I don't know if it's really God. Is God, God doesn't change his mind about people getting saved and people getting discipled and Sunday school and kids learning the word of God. And God's not changed his mind on that. What happens is sometimes we're just kind of a little bit behind. Why? Because it's not new anymore. It's not exciting. And, and the warning here, look if you would at verse number 32. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. You know what he's saying there? He's saying this, if all you do is sit around and think about what you should have or could have done, which is what a lot of people do in their life, you're going to pay for it. And listen, God's give, whatever God's giving you to do, look, it may be as simple as, I'm going to read my Bible today, and God gives me an opportunity to give someone a gospel tract. Praise the Lord. That is, that is far reach, as, that's much more far-reaching than you realize. God can use that. Look, uh, uh, Ryan and his brother are, are saved and coming to church. Ryan came to church because someone invited him when Ryan was working at a restaurant or something like that, right? Like, like God, God can use that stuff, all right? But the, the, the thing is this, do you value it the way that the Lord does? Because look, look at Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3. The, the church of Laodicea, I think one of the biggest issues I would say, you, you can make a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot you can extrapolate from the passage, but I would just say this. If I could put it in one sentence, Laodiceans don't value things that God values. Amen. They just don't. I, I was talking with uh, uh, Rachel's uh, dad, uh, Rachel Moore's dad before church, and, and he's, just, he's in masonry. Uh, anybody know what that's all about? That's some hard work. Uh, and, uh, and he's saying we can't get people to come work. Nobody wants to work. I love it when someone comes to me at church, Pastor, do you have any jobs? I'm like, well, I've got this labor job. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, you must not be that hungry. <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry. I got no pity for people like that. I had three jobs at one time. I was digging ditches, all right? I, I, I delivering pizzas, had a sales job. I was teaching about uh, four jobs, teaching a Bible student and cleaning a gym. And so when someone tells me, I, I need a job, and then they go, oh, I'm not sure if I really want that, you must not be that hungry. And I know I'll say, this, I'll say this about you spiritually as well. When you say, I want to get involved, and the preacher or someone in church leadership goes, well, here's something we can do, and you go, oh, I don't really want to do that. You know what my answer to you is? You must not be that hungry. Because someone that's hungry spiritually go, Lord, place me wherever you want me. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 3. This is supposed to be Bible study. I'm so sorry. We're preaching. Revelation chapter 3, uh, look if you would, at verse 14, of the church, and the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy what? That thou art neither cold nor hot. And he says you're lukewarm. You're just kind of like, eh, kind of there, kind of. Man, you know, you know what the warning is this morning? 
Get in and get all the way in. Man, jump in and labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, you say there's four months to harvest. I'm telling you, the fields are already white. There are, in other words, it's ready. It's our job to go out and labor in it. There's an old song, some of you may know it. Go back to John chapter 4. Uh, an old song, uh, My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? Right? He talks about it seems all my kids want to do is sit around the table, but no one wants to go work in the field. That's a great song. It's a great song. And so what the Lord is saying to his disciples is, hey, guys, it's later than you think. Now, let me give you this in a couple different ways, because I I would say as it relates to the passage in any passage of Scripture, you've got a historical application. Who's talking? Who are they talking to? What are they talking about? Historically, Jesus is talking to his disciples and part of what he's trying to get across, he talks about the night coming when no man can work. And, and, and obviously there's a, a, a doctrinal implication about the tribulation. But he's also talking about where they're at. And he's warning them the whole time that they're involved in ministry. He's warning them, I'm not going to be around. I'm not going to be around all, all the time. I'm not going to be around. Let's go right now. Let's get involved right now. Let's get the right spirit. Let's get the right mind. Let's get the right heart right now. Because guess what? I'm not going to be here later. And so historically, he's telling them, hey, look, this is the time to get involved. Practically... All right, as it relates to, you know what, uh, in your life, it's later than you think. You don't have as much time as you think in your life. His, doctrinally, prophetically, you know what it is? We are later in God's timeline than we realize. <laughs> and uh, uh, doctrinally, prophetically, I'd say, look, man, we're running out of time. I don't mean that in the sense that I, people freak out when you say things like this. They go, you're giving it. I have not given a date to the rapture. I'm not smart enough to do that. There's a lot of guys that will. I'm not going to uh, charge them or say they're wrong for doing it. Uh, a lot of good men have done it before. But here's what I've learned about men that have done it. Even the best of men, they're wrong. No, Now, eventually, someone's going to be right. If you just guess every day, you're eventually going to get it. You know, you know, that's how I'm living tomorrow, tomorrow, tonight, tonight, Lord, tonight. Would you? I mean, eventually, I'll be right, right? So, uh, but the idea is this. It's later than you realize. And uh, this life's going to seem like a dream. Do you think for a moment... Now, I'm just going to throw out, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but I, I want you to see this from the world's perspective. From the world's perspective, I'm the CEO of a company. I'm the president of the Staffing Association in Colorado. Uh, I'm, some, I'm nobody. You know why I do any of that stuff? I want a platform for Jesus Christ. And anyone that follows any of that stuff, they know I give God the glory and give him the credit all the way, and some people don't like it, and that's fine. But, but the idea is this. Do you think God's going to be like, man, I really was great at that? proud of that work you did for the Colorado Staffing Association. That was good stuff. You know what I think he'll say? I appreciate you lifting up my name when nobody else would in the room. I got, I got Christians all over the country emailing me through LinkedIn. I really appreciate your posts and how you're bold for the Lord. And I just want to write back and go, thank you, but why don't you try doing the same thing? You know, like, I think the Lord will see that. But do you think for a minute God's like, oh, the president of the, of the association is here. Everybody, stop what you're doing. You think that's going to matter to God? You know, what's gonna, you know what he's going to say? You're my son and you are my servant. What would you do with the time I gave you? Uh, the, the idea is this, Christian. Work for the night is coming when no man can work anymore. Look at uh, John chapter number 4. John chapter 4. John 4. And uh, we did enough preaching. Get back to some Bible study, right? John chapter 4, let's look at uh, verse number uh, 39. 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. 
So when the Samaritans were coming to him, these are the, the men of the city, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there how long? That's significant. I'd underline that in your Bible. I'd encourage you to do that anyways. Um, as, uh, as you may see on the board or on the, the projector, the screen behind me, the wall behind me, I'll get the rewards here in a moment. Uh, uh, this this uh, two days shows up three times in the Gospel of John. All right, uh, look a couple verses later, John chapter 4, verse 43. Now, after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee. Now, a question. Uh, the Samaritans, are they truly, purely Jews? No, they're not. Uh, so there's a picture of something going on. Historically, he's there for two more days. Practically, here's the lesson. God will not force himself where he's not welcome. When they said, hey, Lord, we want you here, he said, I'll be glad to stay. When you slowly as a believer, and we have the option to do this, you kind of push God out of your life little by little. You know what he'll do? He'll go, okay. Yeah, he'll knock at the door, but he is not going to knock that door down. The Lord does not use a swat baton. He doesn't, he doesn't take a battering ram to your door and go, let me in. He says, uh, I'm busy. Okay. Uh, Lord, I've got some things going on. Okay. But he's not going to knock it down. He's not going to force himself into your life. And if you find a way to kind of push him out, he'll do just that. Uh, but, but if you say, Lord, I, I want you here. Can, can I say this? We pray for visitors to come to church, and I think that's a good thing. And we ought to be a visitor-conscious church. Uh, when people come to visit and they don't know where they're at, don't kick them out of their seat, whatever you do. All right? Make sure you make them feel welcome. Uh, that, that's, that's a good thing. But can I say this? The person that I want here more than anybody else is the Lord himself. Lord, would you just stay here for a little bit? Because it's kind of boring without you. It's kind of pointless without you. It's a waste of our time without you. Uh, and so the Lord, you know what he does? He stays two days. Why? Because they invited him to. Uh, let, me, let me just say this. Practically, in your life, the more doors you open to the Lord, the more he'll consume in your life. The more space he'll take up, the more filled of him you'll be. Now, uh, doctrinally, doctrinally, that's another application. Uh, the Bible mentions he's there for two days. Now, keep this in mind. The Samaritans, I'm just going to kind of loosely... Uh, apply this here, because I understand they're half Jews, but th by the Jews themselves, the Samaritans would be considered Gentiles. All right? So if he's in Samaria, he, for all practical purposes, by the Jews' standards, he's in the land of the Gentiles. All right? <clears throat> well, Galilee, that is part of Israel. So notice what it says there in verse 43. After two days, where does he go? So after two days, he turns his attention back over this way. Uh, First Corinthians, don't, don't turn there, but it says, uh, 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 talking about the power of the, of the gospel, the power of the, of the cross, uh, it says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And uh, you understand the Bible says he came to his own and his own received him not. So you know what he does? He does something that is unthinkable by Jewish standards. Now, keep this in mind. They're journeying somewhere. If, if, if I were to, brother, can you flip through and get me a map? One of these slides has a map. I'm sorry. I want to point something out here. Uh, let's go to the next one. Sorry, that's a no respect. Next one, if you don't mind. All right, here we go. 
All right, so, so basically down here is Jerusalem, right? To cross into the northern part of Israel, back to Galilee, you had to go through Samaria. But he didn't have to stay there. What happens is he goes there and they're, 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 they're hungry and they're thirsty. He sends the men to go get food and they're thirsty. So he sits at the well and that woman comes. And you know the, the encounter that they had that we went through for, for a number of weeks. But, but he could have just passed through, but he doesn't do that. He stays there for how many days? All right, go to John chapter 11. We're going to make sense of this in a moment. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And look, if you would, at uh, verse 3. Therefore, his sisters, talking about Lazarus' sisters, sent unto him to the Lord Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not a death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister. Now, why do you suppose the Lord goes out of his way to say, I love these people? I'll tell you one of the reasons why I believe that. Because as human beings, when the Lord doesn't work on our time schedule, our first response is, don't you love me? Don't you? I love you. Look, he mentions it back in verse number three. It's mentioned there. And then it's mentioned again in verse five. I love, in other words, I loved all three of these people. And then look what happens in verse number six. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode how many days? Uh Uh-huh. And uh, you know what? Lazarus, he goes to Lazarus, his friend, and he brings him back from the dead. Now, I'm going to make a claim. Then I'll come back and kind of show you why I believe this, all right? Uh, Lazarus, you know what this is right now, guys? This is the time of the Gentiles. It starts over here with Nebuchadnezzar coming in and ransacking in 606 B.C. And uh, ever since then, you've been in the time of the Gentiles. And the Bible talks about the fullness of the Gentiles being come in. And that would be the rapture of the church. All right. And I'll explain all this in just a moment. But after that, you know that the great tribulation is called the time of whose trouble? Jacob. Jacob that's Israel. And then after that, Ezekiel 37, you know what it talks about? It talks about a resurrection of a nation. And he brings that nation back to life that was pretty much dead in the sight of the entire world, that was persecuted by the entire world, that was almost wiped off the face of the earth by the Antichrist himself. And he brings that nation back to life when the Lord sets up his kingdom over here. So you know what Lazarus is a picture of? He's a picture of bringing back Israel. Two days, the Lord stays still where he's at. And then he shows up, and everybody thinks, well, you waited too long, he's dead. There's no way he's going to turn back now. And the Lord goes, just watch. <laughs> you know what's amazing about this, guys? Think about this. The Bible says that he consumes the Antichrist with the spirit of his mouth. He goes, knocks him back. They come to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to talk about Gethsemane this morning. And uh, they say, art thou Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am he. And he breathes on them. And then what do they do? They fall back. Isn't it interesting that God's breath can do one of two things depending on where you're at spiritually? It can give you life. Genesis chapter uh, 2, it can give you life, uh, uh, the Spirit of God coming into you. Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You, you've been washed in the washing of regeneration, all right, by the Spirit of God. Uh, or it could bring you death. What's the difference? Same God, same breath. Depends on what you're there for. All right, God looks at motive big time. So uh, here's what I want you to understand. Uh, we talk about two days. And uh, look at Second Peter chapter number 3. Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, 
And uh, this is a, really just a snippet of this idea. There's no way to teach all of it this morning. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. And look, if you would, at verse number 8. Second Peter chapter 3, look if you would at verse number 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Now when the Bible says don't be ignorant of something, you should pay attention. All right? It says that one day is with the Lord as what? And a thousand years as what? Yeah. Psalm 90, if you want to write this reference down, talks about a watch uh, being as a thousand years as well. All right? Psalm 90 verse 4. All right, but, but here's the idea. Uh, there was a guy who was not a Baptist and not from our whatever you want to call it. His name, you should know this just by his title, Archbishop Usher. All right, you know what that guy did? That guy did us all a great favor. He took all the genealogies from the Old Testament, from Genesis, and he lined them all up. All right, listen, uh, if you ever are having a hard time sleeping at night, don't take melatonin gummies. Break out Chronicles and Genesis and line up all the years that someone lived. And you'll be out like that. And you'll wake up in the morning with drool on your Bible. Oh, well, Lord, what happened? Right? Uh, and, and so it's not, that's not easy work. You know what that guy did? He lined it all out. And you, know what you basically have from Adam to Jesus Christ, you have about 4,000 years. See so you know what you have? You got four days. And this is, this is a, 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 a break in history. This changes everything. And then you've got two days after the Messiah came. And look, I know people say, well, this is 2023. There's so many things I don't have time to go into right now. I'll just say this. We don't, there are things, there are days in the Bible that God doesn't count. That he tells you he doesn't count. You also don't know the calendar's been messed with so many times, going from this calendar to that calendar to this way to that way to this way to that way. Over in Ukraine right now, they're changing their calendar yet again. Like the calendar gets messed with all the time. So what I'm getting is I, I'm not going to tell you I have this all figured out, but I do believe that this is true. And I believe that uh, what you're basically seeing is we are somewhere around that sixth day. You say, what is six connected with? The number of man. So on that sixth day, the Lord gets us out of here and the man of sin shows up. And you have the great tribulation. And after that great tribulation, you say, what happens? Well, after the sixth day, let me ask you this in the Old Testament. What were the Jews supposed to do on that seventh day? Rest. That Shabbat, that Sabbath day, you know what it was? It was a day of rest. And it was a sign between God and Israel. That's what he says in Ezekiel 20. It was a sign between God and Israel. Why was it so important? Why does Paul talk about a shadow when he talks about the Sabbath in Colossians, a shadow of things to come? I thought the Sabbath was Old Testament. Yeah, but he calls it a shadow of things to come. Why does he say that? Because he's pointing to a seventh day, a seventh day of rest. You guys, you know what this is called. This is called the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. It's that last seventh day. You musicians in here, Joe, you go an octave up after that seventh note. You go, the, you say, what is that? That eight is basically a new beginning. You know what eternity is for us? It's a new beginning. No time. You say, what is that? Over and over and over. Now, now look, just to show you, you say, what does God do? Well, for two days, the picture is this. For two days, he's dealing with the Gentiles. Last 2,000 years. You know what he's about to do? He's about to turn his attention back on Israel. All right? And uh, now, now I, I could go through a lot of other verses. Let me just give you this. Look at Matthew 17. Matthew 17. Matthew 17. 
And uh, you, some, some of these things in your Bible, they're a picture or something. You don't want to miss it. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. As you read your Bible and see he stayed there for two days. Oh, let me ask you this. Why does he even take the time to tell you he stayed there for two days? You can make the argument, well, it's historical value, and you can make the argument practically the Lord, you know, dwelt there for the, 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 the time because people wanted him there. But why two? Why not three? Why not four? Why does it say two days? Why, what's the significance of that? I think we're seeing that right now. Matthew chapter 17, and uh, look at Matthew 17 in one hand, Luke chapter 9 in the other. Matthew 17 and Luke chapter 9 in the other. Matthew 17, and look if you would at verse number 1. And after six days... Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a, mount, a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And look who shows up in verse 3. Who shows up? All right, so it says, after six days. Isn't that what it says? All right, after six days, and Moses and Elijah, or the law and the prophets show up, and Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of them both, is right there in the middle of them. And the Bible says he was transfigured before them. It was like basically seeing the Lord how they're going to see him when he comes back to establish his kingdom. Three men got to see that. The rest of the disciples did not. They got to see a glimpse of that. Now look at Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter 9. Same idea, but look at what it says. The wording is curious, and you ought to pay attention to it. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And look, if you would, at verse number, uh, middle of the chapter, uh, 20, that's not the right verse. That's in the, oh, you know why it's not the right verses? I'm in the wrong book. That's Mark. Luke chapter 9 uh, and verse number 28. Luke chapter 9, verse number 28. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, James, and John, John and James, excuse me, and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men which were Moses and Elias. Can we agree this is the same event? So in one place he says after six, another place he says about eight. Why didn't God just say seven days? I think he does that to see if you're paying attention. In one place he says after six, another place he says about eight. Why? To go, hey guys, it's after six, it's not quite eight. Where does that put us? Seven. Seven. So you know what the Lord gave them? He gave them a picture of something. On the seventh day... You say, what happens? He comes back in all of his glory. And Moses and Elijah also appear right before that. You read about that in Revelation chapter number 11. All right, but over and over and over, and I don't have time to show all the other examples. There are examples in your Bible where the Lord mentions something like, like, for example, he abode there for two days, right? And then he went back into Galilee, all right? Uh, it, it's also telling to me that it says that he waited two days for going to see John, uh, Lazarus. Why did he do that? Why not four? Why not five? Listen, guys, the same God that can raise a guy from the dead after he's been dead for a couple of days could do it six weeks later if he wanted to. Uh, matter of fact, Matthew 27 talks about the graves of those which slept opening up and then walking around all that stuff. So, so those are dead, some of those for thousands of years, and yet there they are. So the Lord didn't do that for the purpose of, well, I can't wait too long. It was more a matter of, I'm showing you something. Well, what's one of the pictures? Well, one of the pictures is this. Everyone thinks that God's done with Israel. He's going to bring them back over here. And uh, you say, what is that? Just some things that I think are interesting coincidences in your Bible. And by the way, uh, when you change the wording in your Bible, you lose all of that. You lose all of that. All right, so, so, so what I'm going to challenge you to do is this. Go back to John chapter 4, we'll be done. John chapter 4. I'm going to challenge you, as you read your Bible, to pay closer attention 
to some of these kind of seemingly inconspicuous things in your Bible, or you go, oh, that's not that big of a deal. You, you know, stop and go, why two days? Lord, what did you put that in there for? And, and you know what? Maybe it's just because the Lord just says, hey, I just wanted you to know. Okay, fine. Maybe there's something deeper, but, but, but notice here, look at John chapter 4 in uh, verse number uh, 40. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tear with them, and they both there two days. And look at this. Aren't you glad that God's given space for us Gentiles to get saved? Amen. Look what it says in verse 41. Many more believed because of his own word. Aren't you glad that God gave us his word? And for the last 2,000 years, people have been getting saved and being brought in the body of Christ. And the Lord's not done yet. You say, how do you know? He hasn't come back yet. Uh, it's, he's going to wrap this harvest up pretty soon. Uh, now, let's, let's finish in verse 42. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying only, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and be dismissed in a word of prayer. We'll take a, about a five-minute break. We'll start at five after Brother Eric, if we, if we could. Uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and thank God for what we learned. Hopefully you learned something. Challenge you to read your Bible and ask God to show you things as you read through it. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the morning, for this hour we've had together. Lord, I pray you bless the kids as they learn down there as well. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd uh, help us, Lord, to be spiritually hungry. Lord, not to take your word for granted, not take your work for granted. And God, I, I pray that you would minister, Lord, in the hour to come as well. Lord, if anyone comes today that isn't saved, Lord, I pray that you would show them their need for Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We'll take a break there.